Thank you, thank you, thank you, Darren. Hey, stay up here just for a second. Um, Jeff, I need you real quick. Sorry to put you on the spot, but this just is too good to not see here. Uh, Completely accidental, guys. Yeah. For those of you that maybe are visiting and don't know from out of town, this is Jeff, our lead pastor, and uh, our high school pastor, and apparently Old Navy, had a sale uh, this week. So, Jeff, this is actually what cool is, what it's not, and coming to you from your future. <laughs> it's right here, pretty much. All right. That's it. Yeah, you have something to look forward to. Yeah. Glad you're here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Doug. I have the honor and privilege to be here, uh, I don't know, about maybe once a month when, when uh, you've seen the, when the manager walks out to the mound in a baseball game and does this. That means they need the reliever. That's what Jeff does every once in a while. Doug, it's holiday weekend. Nobody's going to be there. Why don't you show up and try not to screw things up? That's kind of the way that it is. So I'm glad you were here. It was a holiday weekend uh, several years ago when I was invited to go down to Mexico to visit an orphanage, myself and a bunch of other men, and um, when we got down there in this orphanage, there was over 50 orphans, two women ran this orphanage, and this, these women said to us in a very bold way, men, you need to be aggressive with the kids. They don't have, all the visitors are usually women. We don't see very men come and visit and play with the kids. Um, these are orphans. They don't have a lot of male attention and affection. Go crazy with them. You can't be too tough with them. Wear them out. Let them see that men are fun and are strong and will wrestle. And so, you know, we took that on. And being a you know, superior athlete uh, that I am, I, I started playing chase with one of these kids. And after two hours, I caught him. And he was three, but that's not important. And uh, after I caught him, I tackled him, and I just started wrestling. Then I grabbed him by the arms, and I just started doing one of these with him, just spinning him around. And he was joyous and happy, and he was laughing and drooling. And uh, it was just a good time. Then I, I picked him, throw, threw him up in the air, and threw him on my shoulder. And after I threw him on my shoulder, I went in for the tight hug, like, okay, now here you get the male affection. And he had this look on his face. And it was like this desperate need to get away from me. And I thought to myself, maybe I hurt him when I threw him on my, my shoulder. And so he's got this desperate look like, get away from me. And I've got this desire to care for him and minister to him and love him. So I'm pulling him in tighter. He's pushing me away. He's speaking Spanish. Spanish isn't even in my top four languages. I don't, I, you know, so I was doing the best I could, saying things like, quesadilla, uh, El Pollo Loco, Dora the Explorer, Ford Fiesta, you know, what? anything that, that sounded Spanish. And he's got this look of desperation, pushing away, I'm pulling him tight. Then all of a sudden, he had a look on his face that, um, well, he peed all over me, is what he did. And so he didn't look desperate anymore, he actually <laughs> looked quite relieved. And uh, I, at that point, I didn't you know, just throw him against the wall. I went, oh, what am I going to do? And so I just kind of held him, let him know that that was okay. And I just tried to communicate non-verbally a look of like, I'm sorry. And he takes his little hand and he rubs my face. He says, mi amigo. <laughs> Which I think means very handsome. Uh, you know, or thanks for being my diaper. I, I'm not exactly sure. But uh, in, this, in this story, what we actually had is we had a kid with a desperate need met by a man with a huge misunderstanding, which equals an uncomfortable situation and a wet shirt. 
Now, I want you to get your outlines out because at the top of your outline, you're going to see that same little equation that says need plus uh, misunderstanding equals what? Confusion. I believe that the many of us that are gathered today, that we share something in common. Many of us don't know each other. Those of you on this side of the wall don't even know that people over there exist. We have different socioeconomic situations. We live in different areas. We're different ages, different ethnicities. But one of the things that we share in common is this this common need. That we have this need to make our lives count. We have our need, our need for, for greatness. We want to be in great relationships. We want a great marriage. We, we want to be great at being parents. If we're in the marketplace or the workforce, we want, a, we want a great business. We want a great bank account. If we're graduating from college, we want a, we want a great future. We want a great career. We want, we want, a, we want a, a great life that has meaning and purpose. So that's the need. The misunderstanding that I find with people is that in order to get this, to fulfill this need, I've got to try to control things. I've got to try to make it happen by, by my will, by my, my might, and, and my power. And what I find with so many people, even people who call themselves Christians or followers of Christ, is that we walk down a path where Jesus is just a He's a nice addition. He's kind of a bonus. Like we use Jesus to kind of pad our life resume. And in many ways, we actually lead and consult Jesus rather than follow and trust him. We lead and consult rather than follow and trust. It's a good line. I wrote it in my notes last service. I just want to make sure I said it. Last service I stumbled on it. I thought, oh, that's good. I want to make sure I get, you know, you're the more spiritual service, so I wanted to save the best. The nine, we just kind of practice, flaky people. But those who come to the 11 is where, like, the core of Mission Vio Mariners is, and I wanted to make sure I got that right, that we lead and consult rather than follow and, and trust. And unlike the consequence with my little urine-soaked shirt story, The consequence in our life, when we have this need for greatness, but we try to control and make it happen on our own, the consequence is actually we become people who live what I would call a passionless faith. And I don't want that for you. And that's not why you came to be a part of this community. I don't think most of you in here would say, you know, I'm I'm pretty okay with a passionless faith. You know, this weekend, as we've been celebrating America's freedom, it's interesting to me, there is a theme that has emerged in, um, you know, online and news articles and television shows and news reports about the American dream. You hear a lot about the American dream over the 4th of July weekend. And the American dream is still alive and well. The American dream is to own a house, to have a secure future, retirement, to raise a family, to have, be behind a white picket fence with 2.3 children. And we, we go after this American dream. And I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but I also want to help you grow spiritually. So let me say something that will be offensive to some of you. And it's this, that Jesus did not come to help you fulfill the American dream. As a matter of fact, the American dream isn't the dream that we see Jesus teach in the scriptures. The dream that Jesus has for me 
is not that I would own a house or have a safe retirement. The dream that Jesus has for me is that he would mold me and make me into his likeness. And that's the same dream that he actually has for you. It's the dream of becoming more like Jesus. And it takes a different path than the American dream. Let me just give you a little, just a, a short preface to where I'm going here. Is that in, as followers of Jesus, you and I are given a different path. Let's just say the path is this way. Okay? This way. And most of us, we grow up hearing, if you really want to be great, you go this way. And culture lays out this, this certain path. Then Jesus comes along and he says to people, he says, Hey, you have heard it said for thousands of years that you should go this way. But I tell you, and then he lays out a different path. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down Matthew 5 through 7. Immerse yourself in the Sermon on the Mount. And what you're going to see is you're going to see those words used a few times. But I tell you, where Jesus is saying, hey, it's been said for so long that when somebody slaps your face, you can seek revenge. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Then he throws these words out. But I say, if somebody slaps your face, what? Turn the other cheek. He lays out a new path for those of us who are followers of Jesus that were to follow. And it's radical. You've heard it said for thousands of years, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, those four powerful words, then he lays out a different path. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he basically says, you have heard it said for so long, thousands of years. You, some of you, all you've been doing is trying to live to the letter of that law. But I tell you, there is a new path. Now, I tell you all that to set the scene because we're going to look at an event where Jesus basically lays out a new path for his followers. And what does that mean for us in, in 2014? Jesus is hanging out with his closest friends. These are the ones, his disciples, who have left everything to follow him. They've walked away from safety. They've walked away from comfort. They've walked away from family and security to be followers of, of Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and do it to Matthew chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles, the verses are on the uh, screen and in the outline. We'll start with verse 20 in Matthew chapter 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, Zebedee's sons are James and John. So James and John's mom came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. See, Jesus has already painted a picture of what his kingdom is going to be. He said, this is the world's kingdom going this way, but my kingdom is going this way. And so mom comes onto the scene and says, I want the best seat for my kids. Jesus, would you, would you promise me? What, what did this mom want to do? This mom wanted to enhance the image of their sons. They were following a rabbi, for goodness sake. This Jewish mom did not have anything to brag on. She couldn't brag that her sons were a doctor or a lawyer or even following a legitimate rabbi of the time. These, these guys left their family business to follow Jesus. 
And so now she's saying, we, I mean, at least, Jesus, would you give them the two best seats in your kingdom? Now, I'm curious, by show of hands, how many of you have um, a mom who is a little psycho? Just out of curiosity, let me see. Let me see your hands. Okay. Yeah, sev- several of you that would, get, um, that would get defensive. Allison, did Jeff raise his hand? He did, yeah, because Jeff's mom is sitting two seats over. Uh, and, and my mom would get defensive. If you, my mom was really polite, polite Marge. That was my mom. But if you crossed her son, Douglas Montgomery Fields, Satan would come out. I mean, she would just, I can remember a time I made when I was in junior high, I made the all-star team. And um, every, per, every team had to have at least one all-star. Some had four. My team had one. I was the only one. I was a catcher. I made it as a catcher. I didn't get to play catcher in All-Stars because the coach's son was a catcher. And so I played right field. And my mom thought it was, I was the better catcher. Of course she thought that. And not only did I play right field, I played the minimum two innings of right field. And I can still remember my mom kind of pinning that coach up against the backstop, you know, like pointing her, fi- her finger at his face and the bottom of her bicep just wow, wow, wow. I mean, my mom had one of those finger bicep things. I mean, I wish she was alive because I'd bring her up on stage and I'd just, I'd push it and you could see it. But that was my mom. I mean, she kind of went crazy. Now, as I would read this scripture to my mom, here's what my mom would say. What's the big deal? I don't see anything wrong with the mom asking for, for that. Now, how many of you moms? Let's be honest. How many of you are protective of your kids? Let me see. Yeah, moms, you're protective of your kids because that's why you're, you're caring. You're a caretaker. You're loving. You want the best for them. That's why when they hurt themselves playing in the front yard, they run in the house, and who do they yell for? Mom. Never do they yell for dad. Never. Why? Because dads don't care. Right? The dad will say, it's not blood. Rub some dirt on it. You know, my dad, my dad's line was, shake it off, son. Shake it off. Dad, I, I want to shake it off, but my bone is sticking out. You know, that type of thing. That's why moms are just, you're, you're, so, you're so wonderful. Okay? Now watch what happens. Move to verse 24. When the ten heard about this, this is the other disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. Indignant means what? Angry, mad, ticked. They were, oh, you can almost hear them. You kiss-ups. Way to go. Bringing your mom, you mama's boys. Bringing your mom to negotiate with Jesus. I can't believe you do it. Now, why were they mad? Because their mom didn't come. Yeah, they, they hadn't thought. They were mad because they, they were jealous that James and John might get better seats than, than them. There's no way they were going to give up the best seats in the house. Why? Because we like the best seats, don't we? We love the best seats, except for those of you that choose this row right here, okay? This, this row right here, the closest to the wall. Raise your hand closest to the wall. Why do you sit there? That is the worst, worst seat. Now, is, maybe it's because you're a servant. I actually, I I, uh, I speak a lot, and I try to explain what my church is like, and I've never taken a picture where everybody's there. Okay, wave. Wave those seats. Not you. you got good seats. People in, the, people in the crummy seats, okay? People in the crummy seats, wave. All right, hang on a sec. Selfie. 
Okay, there they are, and go. Okay. Yeah, those are, those are crummy seats. And some of you, like the girls in the third from the row, I, I, I stood in the back and watched. You got here early and picked those seats. I'm, I'm concerned about you, but I'm, I mean, it's, it's good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, but we love, we love good seats. Think about this. When you were a teenager or younger, or maybe you still do, I don't know. You leave a restaurant, you're with a bunch of people, you're going to the car, you yell, shotgun, right? Shotgun. When you're a teenager, you're like hip-checking your friends into the bushes so you can get the front seat because apparently <laughs> there's no more seats in the car. And you have to ride in the trunk and roll around like marbles in a bathtub or something like that, right? We love the best seats. I travel a lot. And um, I don't always get to board the plane early. And if you don't board the plane early, you do the walk of shame, right? How many have done this before where you walk past, what? First class, right? You walk past, and do you just kind of eye them? Like... They're already seated, their stuff is away, they're drinking their cocktails, they're getting foot massages, they're looking at you with this mocking look like, get in the back. And you're looking at them like, why do you get these seats? You don't even look intelligent, you know? You must have been born with a golden spoon. You know, we get kind of mad because we want those seats. You tracking with me? Okay, you get to places early because you want the best seat. Now, Jesus sees this arguing. And by the way, this is not the first time he had seen this arguing. It's not the first time they had argued over who was going to be the best or the favorite or the greatest. <laughs> what makes me laugh is these were the ones who were the closest to Jesus. They were hanging out with God in the flesh, and they still didn't get it. What hope is there for us, right, if, the, if these guys didn't get it? So Jesus kind of throws the penalty flag calls a timeout. Boys, huddle up. Come here. And look what he says. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. What Jesus was doing in these couple verses is he was saying, you know the path that is a cultural norm. The Gentiles subscribe to a secular, carnal, authoritative dictatorship where the goal is to be at the top so you can look down and boss everybody else. You can lord it over everybody else. You know the way it has been played for many, many, many years and continues to be played today, 2014, right? that you want to be the boss. You don't want to be bossed. You want the office, not the cubicle. You want to climb to the top. You want to, you want to get where you're over other people because in our culture, that makes you great. Then look at these four words in the first part of 26. Not so with you. Not so with you. That if you were a follower of Jesus Christ... You and I are called to walk down a different path. Here he says, not so with you. In Matthew 5-7, through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, but I tell you, both of these terms are redirecting this toward a different path. That if you and I are going to follow Jesus, there's sacrifice. 
it's not the easiest route to follow the person and the teachings of Jesus. He says, love your enemies. Oh, that's no fun. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. If somebody's suing you for your shirt, give them their jacket too. Don't seek revenge. Pray for them. Be the light of the world. Give of your finances and your time to help other people. Jesus lays out this whole new path. And watch this. The best part of 26. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Instead, instead move from this path to this path. What I love about this is whoever wants to become great among you. Jesus does not reject greatness. Hear that again. Jesus does not reject greatness. You want a great life. You want a great marriage. You want a great career. You want, you want great parenting. You want all this. He doesn't reject greatness. He knows he's wired us to want to be great and want our life to have meaning. He doesn't reject it. What does he do? He redefines it. He redefines it. He flips us from this path to this path. And he says, if you want to be great, you must serve. You must be a slave. Did anybody else catch those words? Because those are rough words. I mean, I'd rather be forced to watch a Hallmark Channel weekend marathon, you know, than to be a a servant or a, a slave. I mean, a servant. In America, we hire servants to clean our backyards, to work in our house, to do menial tasks. We don't, like, we, yeah, servant, that's not a word that we get excited about. And slave, slave is, in today's culture, slave is the most disgusting word. You know, for some of us, we grew up watching the miniseries Roots, and you fell in love with Kunta Kente, and you realized how abused and mistreated. Last year, the best picture of the year was 12 years of slavery. So it's, it's young culture, old culture. Everybody knows slavery is gross and disgusting. And Jesus is telling us to be a slave. Let me tell you the difference. The difference here is this. Those slaves were held captive to an evil, inhumane system run by humans. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are free. We are no longer captive. We are free, and we are, we are free and invited to walk in this spiritual system known as God's kingdom. And we're not captive to sin and evil in God's kingdom. We're free. And it's through our freedom that we serve because that's what Jesus calls us to do. So in this spiritual kingdom, down this path over here, who's the head of the spiritual kingdom? Who is it? Okay, about 90% of the time, it's either going to be God or Jesus, all right, when, when you're asked a question, okay? I realize some of you are tempted to say Jeff McGuire, uh, but no, Jeff McGuire is not the head of the spiritual kingdom, all right? It, it is, it's Jesus, all right? Jesus is the head of the spiritual kingdom, and Jesus isn't asking his followers to do something that he's not doing. Jesus is not like the parent who said, don't do as I do, do as I say. Jesus is calling us to serve in order to be great. But watch this. In verse 28, 
Just as the Son of Man did not come to be, what? To be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In my Bible, I've got the word for circled at the end. For is actually, it's translated in place of. That's what that word for means in the Greek, in place of. That Jesus died in place of me. Because Jesus died on the cross in place of me, I don't have to pay for my sins. He's paid for my sins. All I have to do is put my faith and trust in what Jesus has done. He came the ultimate act of serve. When Jesus, the God-man, walked the earth, yes, he served other people, but ultimately he served all of us as he hung on the cross. Now, after Jesus' little serve-to-be-great speech, we don't get to know what the example, the disciples' response was. We don't know if they were like, uh, yeah, well, that's what I was thinking anyway, and I was just going to grab a broom and sweep up over here. You know, we don't know if their jaws dropped, if their eyes popped out. Here's what we do know. We do know that this, this topic of serving is very uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable back then, and it's uncomfortable now, especially for males. Man, let me go after us a little bit. Uh, men, we're, we're pretty selfish. It goes way back. Cavemen were selfish. When cavemen came home from pillaging communities, probably didn't say to their spouse, you know, sit down and tell me about your day. Use as many words as possible. You know, they, they, males, males are, uh, well, I've read research that said women are three times, ladies, women are three times more likely to serve than men. Why? Because women are better people. All right, that's the true answer. All right, now, ladies, before you get cocky and arrogant, let's just remember what Eve did. All right, and then it just kind of balances everything out. All right, so if I'm sitting where you're sitting, here's what I'm thinking. Okay, but Jesus said a lot of things, Doug. Why, why serve? Why is, this, why is this important to walk down this path of following Jesus? Why is it important? It's a good question. If you are a follower of Christ, and I'm not assuming everybody is, but if you are a follower of Christ, you've got to understand that God's dream for you is not the American dream. God's dream for you and I is to follow him. And what happens is when we serve through the power of his spirit, he reaches into our soul and he begins to morph us or transform us into the likeness of Jesus. That is God's goal for Doug. God's goal for Doug is not that he lives in a big house with a big checking account and his kids are successful and have six-figure salaries and they drive nice cars and live in a nice community and he doesn't swear and keeps his alcohol in moderation. That is not God's dream for me. God's dream for me is that he would enter my life and through acts of service, he would mold me and shape me into the likeness of Jesus. That's why we serve. Because it's one of the primary vehicles in which God uses to change us. Now, if you are somebody who would say, well, Doug, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but honestly, I'm just, I, I'm kind of distant from God. My faith is passionless. I mean, I just, uh, I, I mean, I love God, but I just don't live like it much. And my comment to you would be, chances are that slow drift away from God is a result of 
you making life too much about you. You become too self-focused in life and not others-focused. And that one of the quickest ways to create that intimacy back with God is to serve. Why? Because you're never more like Jesus than when you serve. Two weeks ago, over a thousand people from this community go and serve in our community. Why is it that some people who've been coming here for years say, that is one of the best things that I've ever done? Because it was our collective body serving. And God used that act of service, a celebration, smiles on your face, pure motive, and he began to mold us and to shape us into the likeness of Jesus. I told Jeff, that weekend, people grew more spiritually than hearing 52 sermons. Okay? No offense to Jeff and my uh, teaching there. I'm just saying that that's what God does when we're, we're serving. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're checking out this whole God thing, forget, forget what Jesus says. Forget that Jesus created life and he knows how to live it best. Let's, just, let's put reason aside and just go to um, observation. My guess is that the nicest, most gracious fulfilled, secure, really happy people you know, if you were to observe them, they cast a shadow of servanthood wherever they go. Fourth of July, I'm at a Fourth of July party, and I'm talking to this guy. And we're kind of talking, getting to know each other. What do you do? What do you do? And I'm, I'm kind of a drag at a party. I mean, you know, because as soon as somebody says, what do you do? And I say, you know, I'm a pastor, and here I'm standing next to the keg. You know, they're like, ah, I, I, what I, what I, not exactly sure what to do with that. I've got nine cups, uh, you know. So I try to figure out how to approach it and kind of, you know, I speak, I teach, I kind of start there. And then I get to the point, hey, this weekend I'm speaking at Mariner's Mission Viejo, which is my home church, and, and I'm talking about uh, serving. And this is what he says to me. He goes, oh, I feel so much better when I serve. Okay? Not surf, serve, serve. Some of you are like, I can do that. I love the beach. No, serve. Okay? He says, this is what he says. I feel so much better when I serve. And apparently I smirked. Now, my wife is here, and she will... My wife and my kids will all tell me that I have this smirk. Like, and I try not to. I don't even know I'm doing it. But it's like when I think to myself, duh, I smirk. And I practice knots. I'm tried in the mirror. But so here's a stranger says, why do you smirk? <laughs> yeah, I really want to say, I've, I've got gas. I didn't know that was a smirk. You know, but... What I said is, oh, did I, did I smirk? Um, I, I said, well, I, I, maybe I smirk because I know you feel better when you serve. You feel better when you serve because really God's plan for your life is to mold you and make you to be more like Jesus. So when you're serving other people with a pure motive, he's actually taking your heart and bringing it closer to his. Would you like another beer? And he, the guy just kind of looked at me like, all right, I've got some other people I need to talk to. I'm like, hey, you could feel better. Mow my lawn. Yeah, uh, so, but here's what I know about people in life. Here's what I know. You want to love and be loved. You want deep, meaningful relationships. You want security. You want peace. You want a spirit of generosity. You want purpose and meaning and contentment in your life.
Well, how do you get it? The world says, here's how you get it. You walk this way. You become the boss of of everything. Get money and power and trophies. The higher you climb, the better the view. Jesus says, not so among you. You've got it wrong. If you want to be great, step down. If you want to be great, take the last seat. If you want to be great, put other people before you and serve. No matter where you are spiritually today, God will begin to mold you and shape you when you begin to move in the direction of serving others. So let's go back to that beginning equation at the front of your notes. What's the need? I want a great life. That's my need. What's my misunderstanding? i got to make it on my own. Okay? Well, how do we resolve the confusion? Serve. Okay? Serve. Now, I want to give you something more than just, hey, everybody, go serve. Okay? Have a great day. And you walk out. All right, let's serve. No, you go first. No, you go first. I'll hold the door. No, here, you take the donut. Nobody's eating donuts. You know, that type of thing. Okay? I, I, I want to I be different. I want to be... It goes deeper than that. That's why, you know, you never heard Doug Fields do a message on WWJD. I didn't love that whole WWJD movement because I just thought it was kind of dumb. W, what would Jesus do? The right thing. He was God, okay? So, and that's not always that helpful for us. So, you know, parents would go into their kid's bedroom and they'd be jumping on the bed. What would Jesus do? You just see the shock on the kid. Float? I don't know, you know. So... I want to go after something just a little bit deeper than saying, okay, everybody, let's, let's go serve. Look in your notes. You're up on the screen. This is not from Scripture. This is just Doug's language. Serving becomes more natural when you recognize it's not natural. Serving becomes more natural when you recognize it's not natural and you battle through it. It, meaning serving, becomes a primary way in which God molds you to be like Him. Before you and I can seriously consider being people who walk down this path, this kingdom path, and having service be part of our character, we've got to come face to face with the reality that naturally we're not servants. I don't wake up in the morning and go, good morning, God. Who may I serve today? You know, and start my serving stretches. That isn't what happens. I wake up wanting the light. Kathy's phone is going off. The lights are pulled down the shutter. You know, I wake up selfish. When we were first married, I realized, I mean, no, I was selfish before we got married, but when we first got married, we had this moment in the middle of the night where I knew I was selfish when I was awake. I didn't know how selfish I was when I was asleep. That one time she wakes me up, and I'm in like coma, third REM cycle of sleep, and she says, there's somebody downstairs. And immediately my mind goes to, I think we fell asleep watching news, and there was a news story about a person who escaped a maximum penitentiary for the criminally insane, and she probably thinks he's downstairs. And if he is, let him take everything, okay? Because if I go down in my, you know, BVDs with a plunger and swinging a clock radio, you know, I'm not going to scare Freddy Krueger, okay? So that's kind of what I'm thinking. So here's what I say. Why don't you go downstairs? (laughs) I know, I know. It's terrible, it's terrible, but I'm admitting that's what I said. Now, 
I will also tell you what I didn't say because I thought it. You should go downstairs because when we look at our economic model of our family, I make more money than you do. So if he's to put anybody in the hospital, it should be you. Okay, that's, that's what I was thinking. Again, not nice. I get it. My wife's here. I'm confessing. I've confessed for 30 years on, on that. It still comes up in therapy. But, okay, that's what, what I thought. Now, the truth was nobody was downstairs. Our dog was a sleepwalker and stepped on the remote. And when we went downstairs, he was watching Animal Planet. But the, here's what I, my point is this. Left on my own, I'm really selfish. I am. I'm really selfish. What I naturally want is the best seat. What I naturally want is to go first. What I naturally want is what I feel like will be best for me. And here's why I want you to get this. Because without this type of self-awareness, you don't sense that there's a battle going on. And you will continue to excel in self-centeredness. Selfishness is easy. You don't have to be smart to be selfish. And the reason I can confess this about me is basically to say, I know the same thing is true about, about you. And it's not new. It's been, that battle's been happening for thousands of years. The Apostle Paul who's the spiritual hero of our faith, a spiritual hero, who wrote over half the books in the New Testament. Look what he says in Romans chapter 7. Oh, what a miserable person I am. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this guy is a spiritual hero. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So what's the answer to my selfishness? The answer to Doug's selfishness is Jesus. It means I need to walk with Jesus. I need to be connected with Jesus. I need to be yoked to Jesus. Some of you have read the scriptures where it says, yoke yourself to him. Yoke just means being connected. That's what a yoke is. A yoke was a, a, a wooden harness that was, oxen would work together. Okay? I'm yoked with Jesus. I'm connected with Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. And I, the more I walk with him down his path, not the world's path, down his path, the more he frees me from my selfishness. So if we're going to get servanthood, and we're going to understand that to be a follower of Jesus, I've got to serve, we have to face what becomes natural to us. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean it is a, your faith has eradicated all selfishness. It is still a battle. Look in your notes or up on the screen. It says this. I've got to recognize that something ugly lives deep within, and I've got to battle against what's natural for what is faithful. I've got to battle it. So what that means is when my nature says, hey, Doug, make it about you. Take the easy way out. You deserve the best. Go after the, the put yourself first. Take advantage of that opportunity. Grab the best seat. That's when I've got to go, game on. And I'm going to, instead, I'm going to go after what's faithful. 
and I'm going to develop my faith muscle, and I'm going to keep taking that steps, and I'm going to serve. I'm going to, for some of you, going to serve day two weeks ago was the biggest step you ever took. For some of you, you've been given opportunities earlier today in the service to fill out that card and say, here's a faith step. I don't care what it is. Here's my question to you. What is that next faithful step? And, and you take that step and you, and you serve. And it doesn't have to be big. You don't have to fly to Calcutta to work with Mother Teresa. Okay? I mean, one, she's not alive. And two, you probably don't even know where Calcutta is. Okay? So what if we start small? Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, If you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. You want to be rewarded by God? both now and in eternity? The answer is yes. Then give a cup of cold water. Serve in His name. Start small. What if you started serving your primary relationships? Kathy and I are counseling a couple. They're struggling a lot. And most of this couple's problem is pride, and they're just not willing to serve one another. It all comes back down to what's in it for me. It's the essence of their problems. And you got to battle that. I've got to battle that. Kathy and I have a good marriage, and we got to, we've got to battle that. Just this week, what are the, what's the home channel that you watch? Yeah, HGTV. That's on a lot in my house. And Kathy was talking about this summer redoing something in our bedroom, and was talking colors and fabrics and uh, a duvet. Is that how you say it? A duvet and a, and a sconce. And, and she was talking to me like I cared. All right, and, and as she was talking to me, here's what was going on in my mind. Cha-ching, 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 because I wasn't really hearing what she was saying. I was transferring it to our checkbook, and then it hit me. Oh, in three days, I'm talking to over a thousand people at my church about serving, and in this moment, I'm not even serving my best friend in the world by listening to her, okay? That sometimes serving is in the smallest ways, a cup of cold water in my name, listening to your spouse in the name of Jesus, not jumping at that first seat, putting other people first. In John 13, Jesus says, you know these things, now do them. That is the path of blessing. Friends, you want to know the path of blessing? Serve. Okay? You know it. Take it. Take the step. What is your next faithful step? And when you do, here's what the Holy Spirit is saying. That away, Doug. That away. I got you. Good job. I'm going to make it more natural to you. You know, you're not as selfish as you used to be because of the power of my spirit. I am transforming your soul into the likeness of me. That away. Keep taking those steps. Blessings now, rewards in eternity. The disciples, they were not speaking the kingdom language. They were arguing with the vocabulary of this world about greatness. They were fighting for the best seat in the kingdom. And the very closing message that Jesus wanted his followers to get before he went to the cross, you know it at the Last Supper. He pulls them together at the Last Supper. As they walk through the door, he takes on the role of a servant. Okay? 
If anyone should be exalted, it's Jesus. If anyone should be glorified, it's Jesus. And he meets them at the door, and he washes their feet. He washes their stinky, nasty, gross feet. That was the job of a servant. And then what does he say in John 13, verse 15? I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I don't know why you come to church. I know why I do. Because I need to be a part of a community where I celebrate Jesus, I worship Jesus, I connect with other people who follow Jesus, and I am reminded of the ways of Jesus. See, growing spiritually and following Jesus, it isn't about going after the best seat. It's about reaching for the towel to, to wash feet. What does that look like in your life? I want to be that type of follower. I want to be the type of follower that, that serves without recognition and without reservation. And I'm not there yet, but I'm on a journey. And I want you to follow me, okay, as we follow Jesus. Make sense? Make sense? All right. We can do it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you don't reject greatness, but that you have redefined it. And one of the routes toward greatness in, in your economy and your kingdom is to serve, a challenge that just goes totally against our nature. And it is difficult, but there are many of us in here today who we want to be more like you. So we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would begin to mold us and shape us as we take take faithful steps to serve others in small ways and in big ways, that we would do it in the name of Jesus and we would be different people when we leave here today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.